Well, we are jumping in to the grand finale of our Trust the Story series. And as we do it, I just want to say something before it happens. There is a strong chance that during this sermon, a lot of rain is about to hit this building. <laughs> and so it might get loud. If you've never been in here, when it starts pouring rain, the rain kind of starts to set in and it can, it, it can get a little crazy. I don't want that to make you uncomfortable. I want that to make you recall a season in our church. Does anybody remember this? When Hurricane Irma came through Auburn, we were in a tent at the AU Hotel. And so I'm on a stage and literally, some of you remember this, there are fake chandeliers hanging above my head. And I'm preaching about eternity. And it's like we're about to watch our pastor enter into eternity because it's just like swinging back and forth over and over again. So uh, no need to panic. God's got this. And if they have to turn my mic up when the rain hits, they will. And we will overcome this moment. And if you hear it online, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But we are hitting the grand finale of Trust the Story, and it's fitting that it would happen on Palm Sunday. This series has been all about letting go of what we were never called to own. It's about finding rest in the fact that God is God and you are not, giving him the pen to a story you don't always understand, and enjoying the rest that comes from knowing God is in control. And here's why I love that we're ending this story looking forward toward the resurrection and toward Easter, because everything that happens this week in the Easter story has nothing to do with us doing anything. We literally watch and trust the story. Have you thought about that? Like on Palm Sunday? You're just the crowd yelling Hosanna. At the crucifixion, you're just looking on, depressed and wondering whether or not all hope is lost. And on Sunday morning, we're perplexed and kind of blown away that the tomb is empty and Jesus has risen from the dead. And he never asked your permission to do all of that. He never consulted you. He never sat you down and said, hey, here's the plan. No, he just carried it out and said, watch, trust me. So trust the story is literally what we're about to live out through this week. And it's fitting that we would get to the end of such a powerful series and go, hey, trust the story. Because some of you are at a bitter ending in a story in your life right now. We've talked a lot about the overarching story that God's writing in the church, Jesus wins. But we've also talked a lot about the individual stories that some of you are carrying. And some of you are at a dead end. And I just want to announce to you today that because of the resurrection, every dead end where Jesus gets involved becomes a new beginning. And your story is not over, watch this, because your story is not yours. The one who's writing the story and the author has permission to change everything on a dime. And I believe he's going to do that for many of you today. But this sermon is going to hit different. I'm just going to preach through a psalm that I feel like God called me to preach through. And I've got a message that I'm very curious to see how it comes across at the 10.30 a.m. gathering. Are you ready to hear from the Word of God? If you have your Bible, hold it up. Hold it up, 10.30. Hold it up all over this place. Hold it up, Birmingham. Hold it up, New Water Farms. We see you at Lake Martin. Hold it up. Hold it up. Okay, this is going to be amazing. Hold it up higher. Don't be ashamed. This is going to be amazing. You do not need your table of contents because you are going to turn when we turn directly to the middle of your Bible. Turn with me to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. No single people Bible drill. We got to be serious on Easter week, people. Here we go. Psalm 107. So the Psalms, this is your favorite book to accidentally turn to when you're desperate for some type of a word from God. Anybody else play Bible roulette with Psalms? It's like, God, I'm just going to turn to a random page and put my finger on that page, and I believe that verse is what you want to say to me right now. But you try to land in the middle. 
because you're like, the Psalms are just loaded with these very relevant, like uh, almost like uplifting songs about who God is. And while I think God can speak in any way, I think it's more helpful to actually study the text as it was originally written by the author. So when you get to Psalm 107, look at your Bible. What does it say above Psalm 107? It says book five. The Psalms are actually collections of different books of songs and poems that have existed over the course of generations. A lot of the Psalms are written by King David. Some of them have unknown authors. Moses wrote a couple of them. The sons of Korah wrote many of them, and they're written in different situations. Pro tip when you're reading Psalms, look for repetition. Repetition is the key to understanding what the overarching theme of a particular psalm is. Also, when you call them a name, this is just like a a pet peeve for seminary students, don't call it Psalms 107. It's Psalm 107. It's just the number in the book, Psalm 107. And this one happens to be written by King David. And it's written at a time in Israel where the people of God are at their highest peak in the entire Old Testament. So when you read the Old Testament, the people of God struggle. They have a lot of seasons of slavery. They have seasons of difficulty. They have seasons of disobeying God and getting punished for that disobedience. And they have seasons where they have kings who are powerful but extremely evil. King David is the ultimate bright spot of Israel's history. It's part of the reason why what we're celebrating in Jesus is the son of David, the promised Messiah that would come in his line. But essentially, this psalm is written in a time where Israel's territory has spread further than it ever has before. All 12 tribes are united and things are good. And David wants to take a moment in Psalm 107 and just praise God for his faithfulness in getting Israel to where they are. Psalm chapter 107, verse 1, if you're there, say I'm there. We have an elementary school teacher in our church who told me that this is her like secret of getting her students focused. And when she looks at her books with them, she goes, if you're there, say I'm there. And the students love it. And I told her, you try to make them talk to the person next to them too and see how that works. And so you can just hold their focus. I do that so that you're locked in. And she's here this morning. You're welcome. Here we go. Psalm chapter 107, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story, those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. In the first three verses, you have the overarching theme of this entire psalm, so we're going to read it again. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Some of your versions might say, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I love that. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. Straight out of that passage, I want to give you the title of our finale to the Trust the Story series. This message is called Tell Your Story. Tell your story. And as many of you are writing that down, I want you to look at somebody next to you and just say, tell your story. Tell your story. Tell your story. Now, this is huge. At ACC, we are all about people sharing personal stories because I believe that's the most powerful connecting point for a group of people. I use this all the time with our staff because it's so easy when you're a part of an organization and it's so easy when you're a part of a family or a group of friends of just going on with life as it is. But when people start to get real and disclose things about their stories, there's a connection that you can't really explain. So every time I get the opportunity to lead a mission trip, I always make it a priority to have everybody who's on the team share their story. 
And, and I'm not talking about like testimony. I, I love the power of the testimony. I'm not talking about, well, before I met Jesus, this is what my life was like. And then I met Jesus and then this is what changed and, and, and that kind of stereotypical way of sharing your story. No, we do at ACC, we do what's called life maps. And it's where you take the time to actually map out how you became the person you are today and map out where you are probably going in the next five to 10 years based on where you've come from. And so it's an exercise that's very personal. You have to look at heroes in your faith. You have to look back at the heritage of your family. You have to look at every little detail that got you to where you are. And it's fascinating because of all the mission trips I've been on, and I've been on so many, I've been to Europe, Asia, Africa, South America, Mexico, everywhere on the globe I look at, I've led a mission trip team. And I would say of all the things I've seen all over the world, the most special thing that happens on all of those teams happens when people share their stories. When people go, this is, where, this is where I come from, and this is what God has done in my life, because there's power to that connecting point. It's the same reason why if you're in a community group here, and you come together every week, and, and, and maybe you just hang out socially, or maybe you just open the Word of God and you do a Bible study, all of that's great. But something different happens in your community group when somebody looks up and goes, hey, this is what's going on in my life. This is what I'm carrying because everybody else rallies to support them, but other people in the group are like, me too, I just didn't want to say it. And so God almost unleashes this new dynamic of community when people become bold enough to actually tell their story. And so when David names out in Psalm 107, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. This is about more than just giving glory to God through praise. This is about a connecting point for community. But watch this. It's also about reminding you why God is trustworthy. And I would argue today that our capacity to trust God is directly connected to our willingness to tell our story. Our capacity to trust God is directly connected to our willingness to tell. And if you're willing to get uncomfortable and bold enough and be real with your story to other people, there's a level of faithfulness that you'll notice in your story that God was worthy of being praised for, but there's also a, a level of trustworthiness that'll rise up in your heart to go, hey, if God already did all of that, why am I freaking out about what is next? I trust him because I have recalled the faithfulness of God. That's what David's going for in Psalm 107. So what's going to happen next is David is going to name some very specific ways God has redeemed Israel in the past. And I'm going to read a long section of this psalm, but what's interesting about what we're going to read is as you're reading Israel's story, you're going to notice some things that are true about your story if you know Jesus. And you're going to see, oh, wow, God's like done the same thing in me. That's the power of telling your story. It has the capacity to give people an on-ramp to Jesus that they just wouldn't otherwise have. And so if you're in Psalm 107, go down to verse 4. Let's read Psalm 107, verses 4 through 30. Here we go. Pay close attention to this, y'all. This is so powerful. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind, for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. 
Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He broke them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind, for he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the high waters, on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wits end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Powerful. Now, did you read the progression? Essentially, what's happening in Psalm 107 is David is highlighting four different profiles of real physical situations in Israel. But what's interesting about what God has done through history is that all four of those profiles are things that the people of God can name in their stories spiritually, even if they're not real about them physically. So each time it describes, this is the situation someone was in, four different situations. Then they cried to the Lord for help. And the the repetition is that the Lord met them in their trouble. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind is always the response over and over and over again. But I want to name out loud, what are those four profiles of different people? And we'll put them on the screen right now because you might see these things in your own life. Can we throw those up there? You got travelers who are lost in the desert. Prisoners who are in bondage, people who are afflicted because of their own choices, and sailors who are tossed in storms. Now, every one of these are in those situations for different reasons. But in every one of these situations, I can see some semblance of the faithfulness of God to do these exact same things in my story. And so can you if you're a follower of Jesus and you look hard enough. Some wandered in the desert. It doesn't say how they got there or why they were there. It just says they were wandering. Y'all, that's all of us on planet Earth. We were born into a broken, sinful, evil world, wandering around, just trying to fill our stomachs with enough food and water to make it by, but also trying to fill our desires with something that would truly satisfy. And the wandering results in a dead end, and the people who are wandering through the desert end up going, okay, we got no hope but to cry out to the Lord. And when they do, God answers and satisfies their every need. But then you got number two, prisoners who are in bondage. And it says that they're actually in that bondage because of their own decisions that have got them there. They're subjected to bitter labor and no one is there to help them. And I'll tell you this, I know it from my story. Some of you know it from your own. And you need to amen it if it is your story. Our God is the God who frees the captives. Our God is the God who meets people in addiction. 
He's the God who sets people free from things that have chained them up for decades, that have chained their family up for generations, and it all happens on the backside of calling on the name of the Lord. Number three is the hardest one to read. Some were afflicted because of their own choices, and they were afflicted so much so that they loathed food. They just wanted to die. And I believe this can be physical sickness, but also mental illness. That, 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 that there's a level of affliction that's come over you that you're like, I don't even know if I want the story to go on. And at that dead end, they called on the name of the Lord, and he meets them there and gives them a brand new beginning. And then I love the last one, sailors tossed in a storm. This is the group of people that was just going on with life and circumstances hit that you couldn't control. Because when a storm hits, no one knows when that moment is going to happen. I was kind of hoping that when I said that, that would be when it starts raining. <laughs> I was thinking about that the whole gathering. I was like, Lord, it'd be so cool if right when I said it, it goes boom. And everybody's like, whoa, it didn't happen. Um, but you know what I mean? Stuff happens in life and you never saw it coming. And all of a sudden you're in the middle of it and it says that they're sort of staggering around. They're trying to, they're trying to fix things that are on the boat. They're trying to figure out a way. And then it only happens when they get to the end of themselves that they cry out to the Lord. Now, here's what's interesting about all four of these profiles. Each different story exhausts every other option until there is no option but calling out to God. It's like if there, if there was any food, they wouldn't have called out to God in the desert. If there was a chance at freedom that wasn't calling out to God, they would have taken it. If there was a chance at healing, like physically, they would have found it. And if there was at all a chance of surviving the storm other than calling on a God who has every reason to ignore all four of these pleas, but luckily they're calling on a God whose name is Yahweh, who's compassionate and gracious, and every single time they call on the name of the Lord, he's faithful to meet them in their need. Our God is so good. But watch this. You get to the end of yourself, and the only option at that point is to cry out on the name of the Lord. There is a difference between crying out to God out loud and thinking about crying out to God. And some of you have never experienced God's redemption and deliverance in your story because most of the prayers are theoretical in your soul, not out loud to God. It's, it's fitting that everything changes on the backside of people going, I'm not going to sit here and just think about praying. I'm actually going to cry out to God out loud. You know, some of you lie to your community or to your family, and you say, yeah, we've been praying about that. No, you haven't. You've been talking and thinking about praying about that, theoretically wondering what would it look like if I prayed about that, but you haven't actually called out to God in that level of desperation, and as soon as you do, his glory is going to show up in a way you're not expecting. They, they, they cried out. They actually said, okay, God, I'm at the end of myself, and there is no way this situation is going to change if you don't get involved in my story. And so they call it out out loud. And I want to tell some of you who you're like, you tell my story. I don't even have a story to speak about. Maybe you don't have a story you can speak out yet. Maybe your story begins today with you crying out to God. And you saying out loud, God, I want to be a part of the story you are writing on planet Earth. This Easter season is going to be your resurrection season. And you're going to say yes to a new beginning in your relationship with God. But those prayers are not pretty. They're desperate. And they call on God to do what only God can do. Now, I want to finish this psalm. And I want to show you the sort of charge that David has for the people of God because you're going to read some things that are so fitting for where we sit today. Go to Psalm 107, verse 31, and let's wrap it up. 
He says this, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. How fitting is that on Elder Ordination Sunday? He turned rivers into a desert, flowing springs into thirsty ground, and fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who live there. He turned the desert into pools of water and parched ground into flowing springs and a cow pasture on Hamilton Road into a church. There he brought the hungry to live and they founded a city where they could settle. They sowed fields and planted vineyards that yielded a fruitful harvest. He blessed them and their numbers increased, greatly increased, and he did not let their herds diminish. Then their numbers decreased and they were humbled by oppression, calamity, and sorrow. He who pours contempt on nobles made them wander in a trackless waste. But he lifted the needy out of their affliction and increased their families like flocks. The upright see and rejoice, but all the wicked shut their mouths. Let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. You noticing the progression at the end there? So they called on the name of the Lord, and he came through, and he started blessing them, and he started, like, providing for them. But then they, they, they forgot about him, and it's like, up oh, th- those same pools turned into a desert, and it got bad, and now the numbers are decreasing. And it's like, well, they, they came back to faithfulness of God. What you're seeing there is the up-and-down nature of Israel's faith. It's like, and I'm not saying that as soon as you have faith in God, everything in your life starts to prosper. But I am saying the more you live your life in loving union with God, the more you, see, the more you will see his hand being faithful over time. And so you walk away, you forget, you live in self-sufficiency, you don't pray, and you watch things start to go down. And all of a sudden, you're like, okay, i got to cry out to the Lord. And, and, and things kind of tend to go up and down in our lives according to how much we're crying out to God in desperation. But what David is saying is he's saying, let them thank the Lord and let their thankfulness flow out loud. That's what today is all about. I believe in any season that you're in, the key to discovering the will of God is always on the backside of thankfulness and gratitude. In fact, that's one of the only black and white verses about the will of God in the entire Bible. 1 Thessalonians 5, give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus. So if you've ever heard somebody say, I'm just searching for the will of God. I just don't know what is God's will, whether it's a future job or whether it's a new road or a new relationship or something like, I, I need to know. There's a storm. I need to know the will of God. I always tell people, maybe God hasn't revealed where you're supposed to go in your next season because you're not grateful for your current season. And thankfulness in the here and now is always the roadmap into the will of God. But watch this. This is a thankfulness in Psalm 107 that is expressed out loud. And a story, what what does the whole psalm hinge on? Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. This is about not letting the faithfulness of God go unsaid in your life. And so, on Easter week, this is my challenge for our whole church, everyone watching online, all of our locations. When God told me what to tell you today, this always happens. Because I I assume it's Easter week. Easter is all about the message that Jesus wins. And we're going to have the best Easter we've ever had together. The weather's supposed to be beautiful next week, not right now. And it's just going to be awesome. And I'm going to tell you, I I thought, I'm going to tell everybody to invite a friend. I'm going to tell everybody online, send them the link, invite a friend to church. Not hard. You're 10 times more likely to come to church on Easter than any other time of the year. And then God was like, nope, not it. And I started reading this, and I started thinking about what God was writing in me, and I was like, okay, 
This is going to be really uncomfortable for a lot of our people, particularly at this gathering. But here's the challenge for our church. If this is your church home and you are a follower of Jesus, my challenge to you as your pastor is this. Tell your story. Like this week. I want you at some point this week to out loud to another human being articulate what God has done or is doing in your life. Doesn't have to be like a full biography of every event that happened in your life so far, but it does have to make you uncomfortable and it has to call you to take the conversation to a spiritual level. And I know, I know it's easy for you this week to go, hey, come to my church. Hey, check out this link. The message will be great. The music will be great. But here's the thing. I believe the Holy Spirit moves more through a group of people who can articulate their own story of the faithfulness of God than through a group of people who point everyone to a pastor or to a singer. So if you come here, a lot of you are new. You came in the last year. Maybe you came Easter last year when we couldn't gather in a building. So you were like, that, that church I wanted to try. We can just hit play on the video. We don't actually have, actually have to go. But then you came this year and you're like, this is my church home. This is awesome. Here's what you need to know. We love you. And we want your seat to be as comfortable as possible when you get here. And we're building you a new seat on Hamilton Road. It's going to be awesome. But here's the thing. If you come to church here, you will be uncomfortable. And maybe that'll be the discomfort of a storm happening outside, or maybe that'll be a discomfort of the pastor on stage asking you to tell your story in a way that calls you out of your comfort zone. But faith goes to the next level when you take ownership over your story. So what I want you to do this week, I want you to just invite the Holy Spirit. He will give you an opportunity. Say, God, give me a chance to articulate what you have done in and through my life. And if you do that, I will be faithful to do it. And I believe if everybody takes the time to tell their story, God's going to do something so special. And if you have a testimony that's boring, you know, you grow up in church, you're like, my testimony's boring. It's, it, it's the drug addict or the person who got rescued from prison or the person who had a medical emergency. They have the cool testimony. I don't have a cool testimony. God spoke to me so clearly a message to you today. Don't you dare minimize the miraculous hand of God on your life by calling your testimony boring. Because every story where God brings some level of redemption is a story of resurrection. And so, y'all, I've done that in my life. I've spent the better part of my life going, hey, I don't, I don't really have a story. Like, I kind of have been following Jesus for a long time. And I, I always, like, grew up in church. And then I became passionate about Jesus at 13 years old. I knew I wanted to be a pastor at 14. And now I'm a pastor and just kind of always been following Jesus. And I felt the Holy Spirit being like, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. How dare you minimize what the Spirit of God did through your life? You better tell your story. So here's what we're going to do with the rain booming against 323 Airport Road. Y'all look up here. I'm going to tell my story, but not in a way that goes before I met Jesus, after I met Jesus. No, in a way that gives God glory for what only he can do. I was 13 years old, and I went to the movies with three of my best friends. We were seeing a walk to remember, and I was excited because my dad let me wear his beeper. This is like right before cell phones became huge. So he had a beeper. I was like, Dad, can I wear your beeper to the movies? He's like, sure, son. Like, all right, I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I'm like showing off my beeper. And, um, and so we're in a walk to remember, Austell Road, Regal 22. We're in the movie theater, and you, you're going to think I'm making this up, but only God can do this. At the exact same time, all four of us, 13 years old, at the exact same time, we just look at each other, and all of us are aware of what the Holy Spirit is saying. And we're like, did y'all feel that too? Like, yeah. 
we got we to go outside. We got to talk. And all of us articulate almost to the exact same wording. God's calling us not to waste our lives on anything less than starting a revolution right where we are for the glory and fame of Jesus. We're supposed to give our lives to Jesus right here and right now. And I'm happy to tell you, me and all of those guys are all in full-time ministry to this day. Hey, and, and boring testimony. This boy, I just grew up in church. I just met Jesus. And listen, that's the beginning of my story. But watch this. I go to high school and I end up making the dumbest decisions anybody can make related to your romantic love story. It's hilarious that I get up here and preach about dating because all I can basically preach from is terrible decisions made over and over and over again. And I believe part of the reason why God let me do that is so I can clearly articulate how off some of you are in your decision making about your love story. But I'm in high school and listen, I'm about to end up on a road that is so far from God. But here's the thing. God was faithful to let his like mysterious power drop on us at a movie theater. But it's not always a mysterious, mystical feeling. Sometimes it's relational communion. Do you want to know why I didn't walk away from Jesus in high school? Because I had three best friends beside me who it would have been inconvenient to replace. That's why. So every time I found my soul wandering off, it was like, well, like, they're my best friends, and we're going in this direction, so we're just going to keep going in this direction. When one of them would fall away, it would be like, no, come on back. Y'all, Friday nights after football games, where I know this sounds crazy because you're like, you probably were not cool. We were, we were actually really cool, and we would, be at, we would be at football games on a Friday night going, I cannot wait to get back to whosoever house we're going to because we know what we're going to do. We're going to put on worship music and we're going to sit in a circle and tell stories of what God did that week and just praise God literally sometimes until the sun came up the next day. That's what I was doing in high school. And all the while, the hand of God is just keeping me in my faith. And no matter how many ways I try to screw it up, this relationship, that, and God's like, nope, Courtney. And, and all these different ways, his hand has been on my life. And then I become a youth pastor right after getting married and graduating from college. And God goes, hey, I'm going to plant in your wife a dream for a church in Auburn, Alabama. And we make the weird decision of leaving Metro Atlanta to move to a place we had never been a lot of you grew up going to football games with your parents in Auburn. I did not. Could honestly, didn't know where it was on the map. And God goes, this is where I have for you. And I look back at God's hand on my life, and I don't name all of that to go, good job, Miles. I name all of that to remind myself of the faithfulness of God. And I name all of that because God deserves glory that he is due. And I name all of that because we can mutually encourage one another with connections when we tell real stories. So I don't know if it's something you're going through right now. I don't know if it's something from your past or childhood. But this week, you are going to step into a conversation on Easter week about the resurrection power of Jesus. And it will not be the safe, hey, this is where we're going to church on Sunday to get our Easter pick. It will be, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. I just can't shut up about what God has done in and through my life. And when you do that, your trust goes it grows. People are encouraged. And watch this. God is glorified and he's magnified. And that's exactly what's happening in Psalm 107. You have to take ownership over your faith. So I promise I'm done. It's Palm Sunday. And this whole week I've got that. That's the whole message, y'all. That's all of it. I've got that message on my mind and I show up here and I'm like, okay, what does Psalm 107 telling your story have to do with it being Palm Sunday? And so I wanted to step into this moment. Matt, you can go ahead and come up here. I know it's your birthday, but I hope you're not celebrating yet. You can come up and, and start playing behind me because I promise I'm done, and that'll help kill off some of the noise that's out here. I'm sitting here at 8, 10 a.m. this morning, 20 minutes 
before our first gathering, and it hits me. And so I wanted to take a moment to take you back there 2,000 years ago, and I want you to ask the question, what does telling my story have to do with Palm Sunday? And if you have your Bible, go over to John chapter 12, because I want you to see this. John chapter 12, it's in verse 12. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to, because we're going to have it on the screen. This is the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And if you pay attention for five minutes, I promise God's going to speak to you in a powerful way. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Y'all see that? 2,000 years ago, they're watching the story, but sometimes when you're watching a story unfold in real time, things don't make sense until the recollection after the fact happens. When Jesus is riding in on a donkey and the people are shouting Hosanna, nobody has any idea what all of this means. And John says, yeah, when this was happening, no idea. But after he was glorified, that means after he ascended into heaven, we were all talking and we were like, no way. That's the prophecy from Zechariah about our king coming in on a donkey's colt. That him riding in on a donkey instead of a high horse means that he's gentle and lowly and accessible to us. This is our king. He's the one who is going to deliver us from our ultimate enemy, the devil. And do you know what the disciples did once after the fact they realized that's what God was doing? They didn't have a prayer time and then go eat dinner. You know what they did? They went out in the streets. And they said, listen, this Jesus who you crucified, God has made him both Lord and Messiah. No, I'm not going to shut up about what I've seen God do because I know what I saw with my eyes. And watch this. We're still celebrating Palm Sunday 2,000 years later because they told their story. That's all the New Testament is. Is the disciples and the apostles going, this is the story. This is the story we have to tell. God has not veered from the plan of the saints sharing their story being one of the primary ways the Holy Spirit moves to grow the church and resurrect souls from the dead. And he has not left your story out of it either. Think about what would happen if they wouldn't have told their story. We wouldn't be standing in this moment. Whose future and whose story hangs in the balance of whether or not you're bold enough to say something? Tell your story. We're going to sing a hymn that a lot of you grew up singing. It's called Blessed Assurance. That awesome line, this is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. And I hope that this just launches us into Easter week in a powerful way. Would you stand up all over this room? If you're watching online, you can stand up if you're able. I want to pray over you before we sing this powerful declaration over our church. Would you bow your head? Heavenly Father, I thank you for moving in this moment. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that as we sing these words, that this would be more than a song on a Sunday, but that this would be an opportunity for heaven to come collide with Auburn Community Church in the here and now. 
God, I thank you even as I scan this room and I look in the eyes of the people who showed up at church this morning. I can see your faithfulness in their stories. I can see your faithfulness in their families. I can see it's a miracle for some people in this room that they're even here right now. God, I pray that you would embolden them, that you would empower them to step into moments and share of what your faithful hand has done. Even when it makes them uncomfortable, God, I pray that you open their eyes to what it looks like to actually take ownership of their faith. God, help us to get uncomfortable because you are willing to get uncomfortable on a cross. This week is your week. Our stories are your stories. We give you praise right now. We give you thanks right now. And we ask you to breathe on this time. In Jesus' name, amen.